Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig with details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Clayton, I'm going to start this episode with a statement and not a question. The war on drugs killed Breonna Taylor. That's a powerful statement. On March 13, 2020, Louisville police officers raided Taylor's apartment looking for drugs allegedly stashed by a former boyfriend. You know, what happened with Breonna Taylor was she was just sort of lumped in. You know, it was almost like a sort of an afterthought. Uh, we'll go ahead and raid her house, too, mm-hmm. while we're at it. Kenneth Walker, who was in the apartment and dating Taylor at the time, fired one shot at police. Louisville police officers fired more than 30 shots, many blindly, into the apartment. Taylor was struck and killed. The mere fact that she was sort of adjacent to a drug, I mean, this is, you know, this is how we justify uh, collateral damage in war. No, not great. This becomes a national issue because of a Senate staffer in his early 20s named Don Santorelli, and he proposes it as a wedge issue. Like, Wait a minute, hold on. That's where it came from? He just made a suggestion that we should bust into people's houses, and they went with somebody who had no police. That's crazy. You'd be stunned how much law is made by 22-year-olds. That's crazy. I'm Greg Glaude. I'm Clayton English. And this is The War on Drugs. Clayton, how you doing today, man? I'm good. How about yourself, Greg? Doing well. Doing well. Yeah. Uh, read something the other day, and the title of the article was The War on Drugs Killed Breonna Taylor. Mm. And, you know, Breonna Taylor, for those um, who don't know, because, I mean, there's been so many just tragedies since since yeah, then. That's, um, the sh- that's a shame we get lost in, you know, the tragedy of 
which is which, but yeah. Isn't it kind of crazy? Yeah. Like, it's it just is. like. It happens so often. Now. Yeah. It, we cannot get numb to this stuff. Yeah. Like, it, you really can't. But, well, really, the thrust of the article was just saying that, you know, they were able to break into her house, come in there in the middle of the night, her boyfriend sleeping next to her, and it turns out it was on a no knock warrant for some small connection that she had with a former kind of friend, boyfriend, drug dealer that she was not helping whatsoever right. on drugs that, and his house was a, you know, miles away. And it was for a small amount of drugs, even if they found anything. Didn't find anything. Right. Brian Taylor's dead. Yeah, yeah. You lost somebody close to you. Somebody lost a family member. That was somebody in the community that was, you know, contributing to society. And yeah. And, yeah, those no-knock warrants, those are, those, that's a, that's, that's a real kind of uh, dangerous thing in the community because it's, it's it's just an excuse to kick in somebody's door. Like, I mean, that's that's essentially what it is. Like, there's no... People can't respond to the police because you haven't announced yourself as the police. Right. You haven't... You know, and I, I, I don't understand the, the value in a no-knock warrant. It seems like it's more of a dangerous situation for the officers. Right, yeah. Because if this person is selling drugs, then person that they probably worried about is other drug dealers. Right. And you know who kicks in doors without stating this is the police and flashing lights? Other drug dealers. Yeah. So, yeah. Omar is the only one from The Wire that ever right. announced himself that we are about to rob you. Right, yeah. with a whistle. With a whistle, You know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> like, he, he comes up whistling Farmer in the Daily, you know what it is. Like, the police don't even give you that much of a warning with the no-knock. Like, yeah, yeah. Maybe that should be the law. Right, you have to you be gotta, able to hey, play the yeah. ice cream yeah. music or something. Yeah. Like you got to turn your music up. But yeah, I mean, and Brianna's story, as tragic as it was, is you know not something that's rare in our country. No, it's not uncommon. it's, no. it's a little bit too common, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's countless yeah. stories of people, you know, officers getting the wrong address and barreling into someone's house. I mean, yeah. we've seen that a million times. We saw that in uh, what was that, Henry County? Yeah, in yeah, Georgia? outside of Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, and. Like you talked about with like police, I mean, there's places that don't do this at all in the United States. I mean, Florida has has not allowed for Nornox for for years in statute, yeah. and like they're doing just fine. Right. Um, it's it's not necessary, but the reason that you're able to do these things is because of the war on drugs. The vast majority of no knock warrants and SWAT units right. and all this stuff yeah. is to execute drug raids. Yeah, a lot of this stuff, like when you make it a the war on drugs, which this podcast is about, it's a war. So it's that's what you're seeing. You're seeing police having to be more like soldiers yeah. and looking at citizens as enemy combatants almost. Yeah, and and you know we're going to talk to um, Radley Balco, who's right. an amazing investigative reporter, has an awesome book called Rise of the Warrior Cop. And what I love about it, it shows like cops didn't always act like this. Like they didn't have these tactics of. SWAT team units yeah. and military gear that literally is coming over from Iraq yeah. and Afghanistan and our war zones. Military surplus. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's coming right to local law enforcement with little to no training, accountability, oversight, and all these things. And the trigger at every point when you see this expanded police power that makes them more like the military, it's all drug-related. Mm. It's the fear of the drug war, and it right. allows for this government expansion. And it's kind of terrifying, and yeah. it happens so slow you don't realize it, and then these tragic consequences happen. You're like, wait, we didn't always do it this way. We didn't have to always do it this way. Why are we doing this? Right, and yeah. I, I like it because I'm glad to hear what he has to say because it, it's kind of 
it makes me feel like I'm not crazy because we're seeing how far it's come. But even in my lifetime, I've seen it doesn't seem like the SWAT team does what they used to do. Seemed like the SWAT team used to be called in dangerous situations when things, you know, when nobody else could do. Now it seems right. like SWAT team is strictly for serving no knock warrants right, and, right. and drug and drug offenses. Yeah, like yeah, SWAT used to. Uh, we used to watch those movies like in the eighties, nineties. Like Liam Neeson would be in it, or oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. They were repelling, repelling down the down. side. Of the There's building. hostages. There's yeah. hostages. We got a dude yeah. and a sniper rifle on the scope. Yeah. You got the negotiating dude. Don't take the shot. Yeah. And, yeah like <laughs> yeah. what? And now it's Crazy. just dope fiends in their in their right. <laughs> like that's who we're going right. with, right? With M fours and all. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm. I can't wait to get into it with Radley about like all this stuff, like the history of. It. I mean, the nerd of me just loves that stuff. But it really does show you how we got here, and it doesn't have to be this way. And what other places do, and what can we do, and what are the reforms that can you know get us away from these devastating consequences like Breonna yeah. Taylor. And people need to hear it. Yeah. So so let's get into it. Excited. Bradley, welcome to the War on Drugs. Thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're glad to have you here. Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, um, I'll kind of kick it off here. You know, we all heard the story of Breonna Taylor, that it was a, a no-knock raid based upon very scant evidence of drug activity at her house. It was a old boyfriend or a friend um, that used to have packages delivered to her house because his would get porch pirated and hers were able to be protected. You know, they came in at, you know, midnight or whatever it was, one o'clock, her and her boyfriend, lawful, you know, firearm owner, and people are barreling into their house. What do you expect? And then he was shot and killed, or she was shot and killed, and he was charged with murder at first, and then I believe those were all dropped. Um, But it seems like these types of tactics, no-knock raids and warrants, not only are incredibly um, dangerous for the people that are being raided on, also for the police officers as well. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the rise of these types of tactics? Where does no-knock warrants come from? Has that just always been how it's been? Um, just kind of talk about that and then kind of the combination and uh, connection with the war on drugs and how that's kind of risen at the same time with these type of military tactics. Sure. Um, before I get into the history, I mean, one thing that I think we need to mention about the Breonna Taylor raid is, you know, th- th- if you buy into the war on drugs and you buy into the idea that they have to do these kinds of raids, which I don't buy into either, um, you know, they had enough evidence for the guy that they were after in this case, right? There was overwhelming evidence. Um, the reason why they raided Brianna Taylor as well, I think, is important uh, to note in a discussion like this. You know, in order to fight a war, you have to dehumanize your enemy, right? You have to uh, make them sort of look like worthless. <laughs> you have to you have to sort of instill in the public the idea that these people aren't worth sort of the basic dignity that we give to other human beings. And the fact that, the, you know, what happened with Brianna Taylor is she was just sort of lumped in. You know, it was almost like a sort of an afterthought that was going to, oh, we'll go ahead and raid her house too mm-hmm. since we're, while we're at it. And like the idea that, you know, you're going to be breaking somebody's door down in the middle of the night and subjecting them to these volatile tactics, subjecting them and any innocent people that happen to be in the home, that, you know, just the, the mere fact that she was sort of adjacent to a drug – I mean, this is, you know, this is how we justify – uh, collateral damage in wars. Right. right, that's how we justify killing citizens in wars. Well, we had to bomb, you know, this bridge, and there happened to be citizens on it. You know, oh well, you know, I mean, it's a tragic, but it it had to be done. And you know, it's important to remember that the no knock raid, for the first sort of couple decades of, of its existence as a as an actual sort of policy. This is not something that police chiefs were clamoring for or sheriffs wanted. Um, you know, again, uh, police were reluctant to use it in, right. in, when the places where it was passed. Uh, but then Nixon runs in 1968 and he makes um, you know drugs and the drug war a, a huge priority in his campaign. He, he's, it's this 
you know, pretty blatant uh, racist appeal to sort of white fear of black crime or suburban fear of urban crime. Um, and so, you know, as part of that campaign, uh, he has a num proposes a number of policies like doing away with cash bail, um, a lot of really <laughs> some insane things about sort of indefinite detention. And uh, at one point, they wanted to sort of arrest the the attorneys for for you know suspected drug yeah. dealers. Uh, but one of the big policies was the no knock raid. It was this idea that. You know, we're going to show how tough we are on drugs by we're going to let cops just kick down doors to, to, you know, go in and seize the drugs. And I mean, the interesting thing about this, you know, I said this is not something that law enforcement wanted. Um, this is not something they were clamoring for. So this becomes a national issue because of a, a guy, a, a Senate uh, staffer in his early 20s named Don Santorelli. Mm -hmm. um, and he proposes it as a wedge issue. Like this is this is going to be something that we can do to appeal to middle America. Um, you know, most people don't think of themselves as the kind of people who are going to be wrongly rated by police officers. Right. Wait a minute. Hold on. That's where it came from? He just made a suggestion that we should bust into people's houses and they went with somebody who had no police. That's crazy. You'd be stunned how much law is made by 22-year-old kids that just say, like, how about this? Yeah, man. It's Yeah, this whole city's run by, like, people making $30,000 a year. Crazy. It's nuts. Yeah. I interviewed uh, Centrally for my book and you know, today he says this is one of the biggest mistakes of his career, and he's he's very sort of um, mournful almost for the way that this tactic has been sort of used and abused over the years. Um, you know, but it's part of this successful campaign, and Nixon gets elected, um, and in uh, I believe it's seventy or seventy one, um, Congress passes this law. They pass two laws. One is a bill that authorizes uh, no-knock raids for federal narcotics mm -hmm. officers, and the other is one that uh, legalizes no-knock raids for police officers in Washington, D.C., because Congress has, has jurisdiction over the District of Columbia. And there are two very different reactions. In D.C., D.C. at the time actually had a, a pretty progressive police chief named uh, Jerry Wilson. Mm -hmm. um, I interviewed him for the book as well. And Wilson hated this idea. Um, and, you know, when I asked him why he didn't want to implement this idea, uh, this no-knock raid idea, he said some things that I think are pretty profound. Um, first, he said, you know, nobody goes into drug dealing to kill cops, right? They... Uh, any drug dealer knows that if you kill a cop, you're going to be lucky to survive the next five or six seconds. It doesn't do – it's not good business. It's not good for business, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> terrible business. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad for business. You're going to be uh, – it's bad for life, right? You're, you're yeah. probably going to be killed uh, or you're going to go to prison for the rest of your life or you're going to be executed. Um, the other thing he said is, you know, uh, the main justification for no-knock raids uh, other than safety of police is that – they need that evidence in the house uh, to get a prosecution, right? And if, if you wait and give the person time to destroy the evidence, um, then, uh, you know, that person's going to beat the charge, right? Uh, and from his perspective, it's like, you know, the amount of drugs that you can flush down the toilet or, or dispose of, you know, in the, in the whatever, 20, 30 seconds that the police ought to give you uh, before breaking in, you know, uh, you know that's not a significant quantity enough that it merit that it justifies the risk that comes with a no knock raid and the kind of violation of civil liberties. Yeah, you're not a kingpin. You're not El Chapo if you got it down in two flushes. Yeah, and if the purpose of the drug war is to get the drugs out of the streets, you know those drugs aren't on the streets anymore, right? They're, right. they're flushed. Oh. Yeah, uh, nobody's gonna be using. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know his officers refused to to implement it and. Uh, interestingly, crime actually goes down in D.C. Mm -hmm. over the next couple of years as it goes up in the rest of the country. I don't think 
his decision not to do no-knock raids is the reason crime went down, but it certainly didn't make things worse. Uh, but the federal level, it's very different. Um, so Nixon had also set up these strike forces, which were uh, federal narcotics officers teaming up with local police. Uh, and these guys just go crazy. They start kicking down doors left and right. They're, they're raiding places without warrants. They're lying on warrants. Um, and they're raiding the wrong houses, and people are getting terrorized, and some people are getting killed. You know, since then, when there's a trail of bodies, you know, I write about a botched no-knock that ended up with an innocent person dying. You know, I would say there are probably four or five of those a year at least. Lots more were people injured. Lots more were cops are killed or injured. And we see this in the Breonna Taylor case. So the the warrant for the search warrant for the raid on Breonna Taylor's home was illegal. It had this cut and paste boilerplate language that they'd used in all the other search warrants in that investigation. Um, and I think it's a very sort of underappreciated aspect of the case, which is that this is kind of standard policy. I mean, the police police departments across the country are routinely violating the Supreme Court's ruling, and nobody really cares. Um, you know, I found in Little Rock a few years ago, I, I did a, um, a review of about 100 search warrants over a year and a half period in Little Rock, 100 no-knock warrants. And I found that I think it was 90 to 95 percent of them had verbatim, word for word, cut and paste in, in the no-knock section. And, you know, I actually interviewed the judges who signed those warrants, and they didn't think they had done anything wrong. They they could they had no no idea why I was even, you know, asking about yeah. this. And it's sort of like they, they they were signing illegal warrants. They were violating the law, and yet because there are no consequences for anybody involved, the judges, the prosecutors, the police, it's just become sort of routine for for police to do this. And and that's what happened in, in Breonna Taylor's case. Yeah, that's that's unbelievable. And that she's kind of just looked at as the same as someone who actually was a suspected trafficker or whatever else, and just the exact same on that same footing. And to your point, it's that almost dehumanizing of everyone. It's to general, just boilerplate, these are the people that are in a different subcategory of human beings, more or less, and we can do whatever we want. Yeah, um, there's, no, there's no consideration for the, for the humanity. And, you know, the other thing about Brown and Taylor's case, there was a, a criminologist at uh, the University of Eastern Kentucky who, part of his grad student thesis, he was allowed to sort of embed himself in the Louisville Police Department. And um, he talked about how he went on a lot of these raids and he was sort of in the you know, car watching it. And over and over again, he saw them, uh, the battering ram would hit the door at the very time, the same time that they announced that they were mm -hmm. police, right? And this is a, you know, brazen violation of Supreme Court. Again, the police thought, called those knock and announce raids, right? Even though the whole purpose of knock and announce is to give the people inside notice and let them avoid this violence by coming to the door. Yeah, if your second knock is a battering ram, you didn't really knock. Yeah. <laughs> We have a few bills to pay, so we're going to go to a couple commercials right now. Hi, I'm Jason Flom, CEO and founder of Lava for Good Podcasts, home to Bone Valley, Wrongful Conviction, The War on Drugs, and many other great podcasts. Today, we're asking you, our listeners, to take part in a survey. Your feedback is going to help inform how we make podcasts in the future. Your complete and candid answers will help us continue to bring you more insightful and inspiring stories about important topics that impact us all. So please go to lavaforgood.com slash survey and participate today. Thank you for your support. The War on Drugs podcast is sponsored by Stand Together. Stand Together is a philanthropic community that partners with America's boldest change makers to tackle the root causes of our country's biggest problems. Like many others who experience addiction, Scott Strode was using drugs and alcohol to numb the pain. For him, it was childhood trauma. In his early 20s, Scott was invited into a boxing gym by a friend, and that's where he discovered the healing power of sport and community. In 2006, Scott founded The Phoenix, 
a free, sober, active community that uses the transformative power of sport to help people treat and heal from addiction. Scott Strode is one of many entrepreneurs partnering with Stand Together to drive solutions in education, healthcare, poverty, and criminal justice. To learn more, visit standtogether.org. You know, one of the things that we are discussing on this podcast quite a bit is how the war on drugs was never about drugs and it was about all these other things. And one of the themes that I really see in your book is, you know, from the 60s to the Nixon eras through Reagan and, and Bush and Obama and all throughout, uh, drugs are used kind of as a, a reason to expand military, uh, kind of reduce some of the constitutional protections from the Fourth Amendment and all these other things. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that history of militarization through the eyes of the war on drugs a little bit or, or just generally there? Yeah, I think that's a, an important question. I think there are two aspects to police militarization. Um, the first is the, the stuff, right? The guns, the uh, armored personnel carriers, the uh, helicopters, the bayonets, ballistics gear, all of that. Um, and that, you know, that stuff is all problematic, you know, for various, for very obvious reasons, which is this is stuff that was designed for use on a battlefield that's being used in domestic policing, um, you know, on American streets and American neighborhoods against American citizens. Um, but the other side, I think, which is sort of unappreciated and, and um, maybe overlooked a little bit is the the mindset, militaristic mindset, um, and the two kind of go hand in hand, right? If you have a, if you take a domestic police officer and you uh, dress him in camouflage, you dress him like a soldier, you train him like a soldier, you arm him like a soldier, and you tell him, you know, he's fighting a war, whether it's a war on drugs or crime or terrorism or you know anything else. Um, you know, we shouldn't be surprised if they start to think of themselves as soldiers and think of their job as the job of a soldier. Um, and so the, the the mindset, though, I think, you know, we, we've increasingly seen this sort of us versus them mentality uh, in policing. This is driven a lot at the top by politicians who kind of um, <clears throat> have, you know, described the war on drugs in very warlike sort of militaristic terms. Yeah, I always think about like when I used to put pads on for football, like in high school, like it changes your mentality. You're ready to hit. Yeah, like I don't care if I'm yeah. at like the Dunbar High School, you know, powder puff football game for homecoming. Like I'm, I'm going through some people. Yeah, yeah like you know, yeah. it, it just changes your mentality. And if, and if you're like doing flag football, like you're a different person. Like, of course, that's going to change that. And obviously, that changes your perception as a citizen. Like, these aren't my neighbors anymore. These aren't community police. These are occupiers in a way. Yeah. I mean, I think just intuitively, there's a, it's going to have a profound effect, right? Right. Um, I mean, you know, I, I I've often um, sort of joked about this on social media, but when you see, you know, an officer in a city dressed in camouflage, um, there's no, you know, there's no practical reason for that, right? I mean, you're not, you're not raiding woods in the middle of New York, right? <laughs> I mean, and, and moreover, it, it tends to be very conspicuous. They're not trying to hide from anything, right? The whole point is to send a message. I mean, that's why they wear it. Right. Um, and again, you know, this, the problem with this is that um, police officers aren't soldiers, right? They're, pe they're supposed to be peace officers. Mm -hmm. Their job is to protect our constitutional rights, um, whereas a soldier's job is basically to, to kill people and break things, right, to, to annihilate a foreign enemy. Very different primary objectives. Right. Yeah. And for a long time in this country, we've done a good job of separating those two and keeping them apart. Um, but I think the, the war on drugs, what it's done, probably one of the more destructive things it's done is it has blurred that line between police and soldier. And it's while we've done a good job of keeping soldiers out of domestic policing, where we've kind of dropped the ball is we've allowed our domestic police to become more and more like soldiers. Yeah. And Radley, one thing I always 
kind of discuss is the you know the relationship between violent crime and the drug war. Can you talk a little bit about that connection between militarization, drug war, and an actual just violent crime occurring? Like how much violence in this country happens because of drug prohibition and the war that we're you know putting out on on narcotics? Well, I mean, if you if you go back to the prohibition era and you look at the homicide rate, I mean, there's a spike the moment alcohol is prohibited mm-hmm. to the Volstead Act. Uh, and then it drops the moment that it's it's repealed. Um, so that's, you know, that's pretty striking. Um, and if you look at the homicide rate over a longer period of time, there's a spike uh, right at about the time Nixon declares war on drugs and implements his policies and during the Reagan administration. Um, so, you know, I do think there's a, yeah, there's clearly every time you sort of well, when you prohibit drugs for the first time, you're going to see a spike because, you know, you're, you're taking a legal activity and pushing it underground. Um, you know, I always make the joke, you don't very often see people murdered in a Michelob deal gone bad. Right? <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, that Coors Light. The Corona Light boys are coming over. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, if you if two alcohol distributors have a beef, they go to court and settle it. If two drug dealers have a beef, it's, it's a whole different matter. Right. right. Um, but, you know, also just, you know, in general, when you then when you sort of crack down on drugs, uh, then you dis, you you disrupt the uh, sort of established black market. So then people start fighting for turf again. I mean, we saw this in Mexico when the U.S. government persuaded the Mexican government to take a more militaristic approach to the war on drugs. It disrupted the black market. And you saw this just just massive heart wrenching sort of escalation in homicides across Mexico. And. You know, the really perverse thing about it, I know getting a little bit off topic here, but the, you, you saw politicians justify this by saying basically, I mean, everyone from Hillary Clinton to Bush's drugs are that, you know, these tens of thousands of murdered Mexicans were sort of the price that we had to pay to stop Americans from getting high, right? Yeah. I mean, wow. it's just like you want to talk about dehumanization. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just this utter sort of disregard for human life. Yeah, and, wow. and kind of switching to something a little bit different, but on the same topic is. You know, recently, um, you know, Joe Biden just asked, you know, um, you know, pardoned everyone with low level drug possession, kind of a more symbolic uh, approach and then also potentially rescheduling. Um, And we've seen, you know, 35 states have some sort of form of legal marijuana across the country. I think it would shock people. And and Clay, this time we've talked about how much marijuana still is a major contributor to the drug war, criminal justice and kind of interactions between police and citizens. You know, can you talk a little bit about like how marijuana is still able to be, you know, with yeah. this, yeah, with the smell of marijuana coming from a car, like civil asset, which forfeiture. is which is crazy too because it's it can be used for anything. Like you can, if you can smell marijuana with both of my windows up while I'm doing sixty, yeah, you are RoboCop. <laughs> you are like, yeah, and they, and they use it for everything. Well, what amazes me is they, you know, they can pull a car over because they smelled, you know, marijuana. That was, you know, locked in the trunk, right, of the car. Or they can smell marijuana that, you know, gave rise to a, a demeaning roadside search where they go through every single bag and throw everything out on the ground and they don't find anything. And yet nobody, nobody, you know, clearly they didn't smell marijuana right. and yet nobody, right. nobody says anything. It's like, ah, the officer was mistaken. Oh, well, move on. And then you're able to use everything there because it was a... Or even if you yeah. don't, you just subjected somebody to a humiliating right. search. You know, their shit's like spread out all over the interstate yeah. and the cop's like, all right, see you later. Go on. You know, and they move on to the next person. I mean, I wrote about a story where uh, one of these canine units uh, just outside of uh, uh, St. Louis, Collinsville, Illinois, um, you know, he, he 
pulled over this guy and, you know, the drug dog magically alerted and they didn't find anything. And, of course, the cops will say, wow, there was there must have been tra- a shake, you know, yeah. r- right. traces of – Trace uh, amounts. And-, and that guy sued. The guy got pulled over and he found out that this cop was train- – how he would train his dog is he would go to roadside motels and hotels into the parking lot. And he would rub pot on the bumpers of some of the cars. And then he would take his dog through it wow. if the dog alerted. And that's how he trained his dog. Well, imagine if you're one of those cars and you get pulled over the next day, right. <laughs> you know, and the drug dog comes out and alerts. And now you've got to search, you know. I mean, the the drug dog thing, I mean, we could do a whole episode just on that. Oh, um, man, I've, I've uh, never. Probable cause on a leash. <laughs> believed on them, like, all the way. Like, no. Like, and even the research shows they're only good for about, like, two hours out of the day. Well, and also, yeah, stuff. So. I am too. Well, yeah. also, <laughs> I'll give you a solid two. <laughs> right, that's it, baby. Yeah. <laughs> well, the other is for government work. <laughs> well, the thing is, I mean, yeah, these dogs are trained. Dogs have great noses, but but we've also bred into dogs for several hundred years this this innate uh, desire to please us. Make right? us happy. <laughs> and so, if you're a drug handler, you want a dog that's going to please you, and so the dog can read that. And if he if your drug handler thinks there's drugs in the car, the dog's going to alert because it wants to please the handler. Yeah. And that's not taught out of them. I mean, I've talked to people who train drug dogs, and they've said, told me. We could train that out of dogs so they only alert when there are actually drugs in the car. Police departments don't want that. Right. They want dogs that are going to assert that are going to alert whenever the cop wants them to alert. Right. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. The cop get excited. The dog get excited. Yep. They go Everybody's happy. Yeah. Radley, we want to thank you for coming on. Yeah. We really appreciate it, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, it, what, the work you're doing is important. And let these people know how they can support you, where they can find you, and where they can get more informed on what's going on. Sure. So <clears throat> uh, I'm an independent journalist now. Um, so you can find my work at uh, The Watch, which is a substack. So if you go to bradleybalco.substack.com or just Google my name and The Watch or my name and substack, you should be able to find it pretty easily. Awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah. Everyone go check out Radley's work. He is one of the foremost experts on this issue. His book, Rise of the Warrior Cop, is terrific. Um, something that definitely got me more interested in my career uh, to do this. So, yeah, thank you again. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. I yeah. appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. Clayton wasn't cheap to get, so we had to cut a couple commercials. We'll be right back. <laughs> Somebody got to pay me. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The wait is over. The Shy returns May 10th on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner. 
leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ends. Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. The theme I kept seeing was drugs was an excuse to kind of militarize the police. And so it wasn't that we were concerned about drugs and safety, it was this is an area that we can exploit to actually increase the police force, increase this kind of presence, increase this police state. Yeah, I mean, once you get past automatic weapons, I don't I don't know who you think they're dealing with. Like, you need that much military equipment. And I think, I don't know, it's, it's scary because I think the military probably has more protocol there's accountability there's protocol like if you act up you go to a military a, tribunal that's there's a investigations. war crime yeah, that's yeah. A, you know like you could get court mark you could get yeah like and i think with police they're getting all that equipment with none of that there's no training requirements there's nothing like it and in fact with the um it's called the 1033 program if you don't use it within a year you have to give it back Oh, so you got to use it. You're incentivized to use it in, in some way, shape, so or form. So whenever something pops, the, the next thing that happens, whether it's, you know, the high school football game was out of control, yeah. put that right yeah. gear on. <laughs> Get it on. Yeah. Yes. You have to Go show Go out there. It. Don't smack anybody, but show them we got it <laughs> yeah. so we can keep it. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, it's crazy. Um, and, you know, when, I mean, you're, you're dude, I, I'm a guy, like, we're idiots, Um all we do is, like, we have new toys. We want to use them. Yes. And so you're going to give these things to police forces. They're going to use them. And, you know, you, you have all this stuff lying around. What is the most common thing you do? It's drug warrants. And we've seen it a million times go horribly wrong. These middle-of-the-night SWAT-style raids, uh, no-knock warrants where they're not knocking and announcing. And, I mean, I think the most famous one that we've seen past couple years is with Breonna Taylor. Yeah. It's, it's a midnight raid. Their only evidence was that the guy that there was their target – had um, packages delivered to her house at some point because they were on and off again dating. And that was the justification to break into her home at midnight um, without announcing themselves. What um, you just said, break into, because that's what it is. Like, if you announce yourself as the police and you've got the place surrounded, you probably have the upper hand. But when you just bust through somebody's door, and if you say you're going after drug dealers, Drug dealers worry about other drug dealers. <laughs> yeah, they like, kind of run in the crowd. Yeah, 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 they don't, and they don't announce themselves. Yeah, they don't be like, "Hello, this is the cartel. Yeah. We're outside. Yeah. Where's our money?" Yeah. You know, they just bust in and they start shooting. So now you're blending together. How is that even safe for the officers? It's not. And I think people forget that we look at like, "Oh, that's the bad guy. These are the good guys. These are the bad guys. These are the good guys." But everybody's a a human being in this. And that's stuff you don't even think about, like when you talk about the war on drugs. Make sure you follow the War on Drugs podcast so you don't miss any new episodes or any of our quick fix bonus content. And we'll be back next week with
with another episode of War on Drugs. Until then, thank you for listening. Executive producers for War on Drugs are Jason Flom and Kevin Wordis. Senior producer is Michael Epstein. Editing by Nick Massetti and Michael Epstein. Associate producer and mix and mastering by Nick Massetti. Additional production by Jeff Clyburn and Anna McEntee. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Lava for Good. You can follow Greg on Twitter at Greg Glod, and you can follow Clayton English on Instagram at Clayton English. The War on Drugs is a production of Lava for Good podcast in association with Signal Company Number One. I'm your host, Clayton English. And I'm Greg Glod. And thanks for listening to the War on Drugs podcast. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at AvalonWaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today.